Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Hi, welcome to this week's episode. This week I'm speaking with Andy Robertson, who's a freelance journalist. He's also a gamer, a dad, and what we kind of get into this week is a little bit of the nitty-gritty behind um, some of the journalism, the science. Uh, We look at um, the balance around uh, gaming, the fact that children can have conversations with us and we can have conversations with them. This, This is really, really a good, good episode for parents. So this is about um, how, how to have those conversations with your child um, and also if you know any other parents, obviously, um, and I do feel a bit like a broken record saying this, but if you do know lots of parents who might benefit from this conversation, please do share this episode with them. Uh, there'll be some links to the games that Andy talks about, but also um, his Patreon page. And on his Patreon page, he has videos which are made for parents and I'm going to suggest that once you've been over to Andy's page that you hop on over to Cyber Synapse on Patreon. So that's www.patreon.com and then forward slash. If you type in Cyber Synapse, that'll take you to my page. And the reason being is um, rather than going on and on like I have done about, you know, uh, beans and things like that, um, really... I'm going to be sharing some information on my Patreon page specifically regarding uh, my PhD, which I alluded to in the interview. Um, But just to give you a little bit of background. um, Yeah, my PhD, uh, I kind of delayed this year um, due to the fact that I've had uh, other commitments and been doing lots and lots of other things around cyber trauma. So although this podcast is called Cyber Synapse, it's on the back of uh, my real research and my, real, uh, my, my passion around cyber trauma. So 2011-2012, I coined the phrase cyber trauma all about how graphic images uh, were creating issues um, and how this was affecting the children and some of the adults that were coming into my therapy practice. So since since 2011, 2012, I've been really looking at this impact um, and I now get the privilege to do it at PhD level. So this will be a clinical piece of research that I'm going to bring um, over the next few years. Um, And during that process, I'm going to be using the Patreon page to do reflections on some of the podcasts. But also there's going to be specific material in there that relates to cyber trauma and uh, in effect the actual PhD that I'm doing. Now that's only available for people who sign up to be a Patreon. Now at the moment I think I might might have two people that are on Patreon so thank you very much to those two people. Um, I am self-funding my PhD um, and because it's just been really difficult to get funding for this particular topic which surprises me Um, but being a, a um, motivated and uh, go-getter kind of person, uh, I'm not going to let this fact get in my way about doing this piece of research because I know that it will be really, really important. Um, obviously, the last few years I've been getting lots of clinical evidence and material, so this this allows me to actually produce something that can go into the academic literature, but also uh, I intend to write 
probably what will be a third book. So in terms of what I'm putting into my second book at the moment, I'm probably not going to go too in-depth with this particular subject matter. A, because I would end up writing a PhD in the book and I'm already um, way above my character limit. And what I'd like to do is through the cyber trauma um, is, is I've, I've already got a the theoretical base for it anyway, but it will allow me to do that in, in its entirety towards the end of the, the PhD. So maybe, maybe that will be uh, a book entirely for practitioners and so on. Um, so back to the interview, um, please, please, please uh, rate and subscribe. Um, so on iTunes, what you need to do is scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page. There is a way to literally click on a number of stars. Um, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could do that. Um, it takes two minutes of your time to do that. If you'd like to leave um, a review, that would be even better um, because that will allow other people to find the podcast um, and the way that iTunes works is I, I need these ratings for other people to find it. Um, and also just to say that um, the interview today is quite, um, I'm going to say it's, it's low, low tech in terms of sound. And at one point, Andy receives a phone call, so we have to stop. So it might feel like it blips, um, which it does, because uh, I haven't really got time to be doing um, full on editing um i will be hopefully using a student to do that this year um, and again this is what patreon's all about is um trying to produce a better uh sounding podcast for you all um, i'm aware that zoom is uh the, the the platform that i do use and obviously sound can be an issue so can um uh, internet quality um and you'll find that today uh, there was a little bit of a a, a, a a fraction with that where where it kind of blipped a bit but Andy was um good enough to re kind of recount what we talked about um I think this is a really wonderful episode um I've got another great episode coming next week um which I'm really excited about because um hopefully the person that's on next week I'm going to interview again about one of the other subjects I'm really excited about um as before enjoy the podcast um enjoy what we're chatting about as always feedback um i will pass anything on to andy there'll be all the links that we talk about in the show notes and see you next week this week i'm joined by andy robertson he is a gaming journalist uh who writes for um forbes guardian internet matters bbc and uh, as many other people as i can think of um you're also currently writing a book um which is aimed at parents to help them uh, understand gaming. Yeah, that's and right. Cool. Yes, and it's that's called good Taming, in a nutshell. Taming Gaming. Yeah. Um. So first of all, and also you're a dad. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, your your um tag on Twitter gives it away anyway. Yeah, it's but, probably out of date. They've probably got the kids have got older since since I last updated that probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So first of all, Andy, why do you do what you do? I think um it was a slight accident. Um, because I was a journalist writing about video games and sort of, and doing videos about them, I just ended up with a, a, quite a good broad knowledge of what, what games are out there to play. And it was around the time that the Wii was becoming popular and, you know, everybody was playing Wii tennis and Wii bowling. And so games are something more than just for kids was kind of on the radar, but nobody quite mm. knew, seemed to know how to take that conversation forwards. And so over the intervening years, in the conversations I've had with families, I'll often be like, oh, why don't you play this game? Or maybe you should try this approach and realize that parents are really keen 
to sort of guide their children to a really healthy relationship with games, but don't often have the knowledge. And it's just that information gap. If they had it in the right form, then, um, you know, it makes a big difference. And that's, that's so much fun. When you go into a family, you tell them something and then it changes a conversation and suddenly everything opens up. So that's, I think that's what drives me to keep going, doing all this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think right now, um, these kinds of conversations are really important, which is why we're having this conversation because we've now got um, this narrative that's appeared around um, children who play games, let's say, in inverted commas, too much. So there, there's um, the recent addition in the World Health Organization of gaming disorder. So mm-hmm. I wondered what, because I'm sure my, my listeners and viewers have kind of picked up on what I feel about this. So uh, what do you think about this, Andy? What, where do you come from on this as a journalist, as a dad, and as somebody who can be critical of the science? I think, first of all, as a journalist, I noticed that there's, not, there's a lot of um, <laughs> lazy journalism happening because it's hard to write about video games because they're complicated. When you get a headline like WHO creates gaming disorder, a lot of newspapers can rush to say, oh, you know, this is now a thing. And actually in the process of it, if you go and dig into it, it's still, it's still not 100% confirmed. The NHS is still just field trialling it. And so headlines like NHS to start diagnosing children as addicted to gaming, it just isn't, isn't very accurate and not very helpful. So I think from a kind of a, it's not really fake news, but from a sort of a vague news perspective, I think we need to be a little bit more mm-hmm. careful about the language. Um, as, a, um, as a parent... I think, you know, I, I welcome having the conversation and discussing well, how are children playing games? How long are they yeah. playing games? But that's the problem. It pushes you towards um, answering questions again and again. How long is too long? How long means that my child is, is addicted rather than a more detailed understanding of what's happening on the screen? So mm-hmm. I think the danger is that parents can, um, in an area where they're already struggling to sort of find their feet, can end up feeling like it's someone else's problem and they kind of medicalize this that their child has an addiction rather than just their child just likes to play a lot of Fortnite or their child likes to do other things on the on their screen so they maybe don't understand so I think as a parent it's important to have that conversation and not jump to kind of reflex actions and then um, sort of more generally, um, as a kind of a games expert, I guess, um, I, I'm, I'm not keen how it turns games into a kind of a commodity like alcohol yeah. or like cigarettes. So rather than treat, treating them as um, a vehicle for culture and a way to make sense of the world and to tell stories and to create imaginative worlds, all the stuff I love that my kids get mm-hmm. out of it, it turns them into a, like a dumb object um, and misses. And the, that categorization is a, a big misunderstanding of what games are. And so that, that forces the conversation off on a bit of a tangent, which I think isn't very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of the words. Um, so just, just to um, kind of go back a second, the journalism. Um, I, I, did, um, I did a blog, I think it was called Internet Hanging Out With Your Mates Disorder. Um, <laughs> yeah. Much more complicated than that. And it, it was all about actually uh, where I come from as a, a psychotherapist is I... And and what I was looking at in the journalistic uh, framework was people using words like dopamine hit and, and and I'm saying, actually, that's so reductionist. We are much, much more than these dopamine hits. We're social beings. And when, when I sit with children in therapy and I ask about why they play games or why they're doing what they're doing, there's always a social aspect to it. And 
just to kind of add in the science here, if you look in the brain at where these dopamine hits are happening, it's in the same area that social interactions happen. So yeah. you, you can't distinguish between what, what the motive is or what the, the um, kind of reward, I mean, this is where it gets uh, tied up with the reward circuit, doesn't mm. it? Um, and I've, I've seen viral videos um, going around and it's, it's people who have read this kind of, uh, I want to say two-bit journalism and it's no offence to you, aunties, but <laughs> it's, that, it's that idea of somebody not understanding the science and then saying this is what the issue is because look, here the science says that it's a dopamine hit, therefore it must be about addiction and it matches addiction exactly and it doesn't. So th this is um, probably the biggest section of my book is talking about why you cannot separate um, addictive kind of behaviours from attachment kind of behaviours. So the social is always involved and it's pretty much the same with um, drugs and so on. And to, to quote something that I've, I've said on many a times, playing a game is not like taking a line of coke. It just is not the same thing for the body in the same way. Um, so I, I, yeah, I did a, I did a bit of a um, Saki blog on that one um, in terms of why, why we do this and we yeah. suddenly have this scaremongering. I think that's what Twitter's been about for me over the last couple of months is the academics and the journalists and they seem to be on opposite ends of the camp on this one. Yeah, and I, I saw some stats recently. I mean, I didn't, again, I knew it wasn't very rigorous, but it was an interesting graph that was looking at Google search terms to try and track um, sort of fears in the populace. And so what people were Googling, whether it was bird flu, wherever it was, um, well, there are all sorts of dangers. And the video game one is quite consistent, right? Right mm. through the last kind of 10, 15 years, it, it, it was something that's been, been there and has stayed steady. It, didn't, it was, I think it stopped in mid-2017, the data, so it'd be interesting to see how it is now. But the, the impression that you get when, in these conversations, if I'm on a radio, say, talking about this, they're like, well, why has it become such a problem now? We've had games for ages, and now suddenly it's a massive problem. And it's not, is it? I, my experience is that it's pretty steady. It's just that there are these drivers to, because it's making more and more money, that, you know, we need to cover this stuff as, a, as journalists. And the um, negative negative stories are often um, reached for, you know, more prevalently maybe because um, they get more traction. Well, I mean, that's, that's based on how the brain works. It's, I mean, yeah. we have something called a negativity bias and we're actually drawn towards paying attention to something that's negative because that's how we survive. You know, as, yeah. I, uh, as I often say in, in therapy, you know, the caveman that stopped to smell the roses and got eaten by the, the dinosaurs didn't have his DNA passed on. So actually the person who was slightly yeah. jumpy and paid attention to the worrying things. And all right, it's not dinosaurs nowadays. It's what, what game they're playing, who they're talking to, what's going. And, and I think we've kind of got, well, we have. It's not we've kind of. We've got a Neanderthal brain in, in, the, in 2018. You know, it's, it's, it's fit for its purpose, but it's about 75,000 years out of date. Which also just made me think of the article that I saw. Um, this is why I wrote the, the blog, actually, about the young... Person. So when you'd said about the NHS, the young person whose mum was fighting to get a diagnosis for internet gaming disorder for her son. Yeah. And actually what I looked at in the, in the actual article, I think it wasn't the Guardian, so you're, you're all right on this one. <laughs> it was something along the lines of a mum was um, an app developer. Mm -hmm. And I was going, okay, so what we know about human behaviour is when parents engage in one kind of behavior then children tend to follow that through social learning theory and you know mimicking and 
So here we are that there's a mum who constantly uses a computer to develop apps because you can't do them in two minutes. And her child also played on the computers. And when she removed them and hid them in a safe, um, he got angry, you know, and I'm kind of going, okay, that's not internet gaming disorder. That's angry at mum disorder. Mm. If you want to give it a disorder, because mum's taken something off him. Yeah. And I think in a lot of these stories, the thing that strikes me is that I want to hear more from the child. Often it's via, via parents. And I think, who, you know, whatever the scenario and whatever the sort of story, um, whenever I've been involved in that kind of conversation, it's, the, if you, it's listening accurately and then asking, you know, reflecting and asking questions mm-hmm. um, to the children in the situation. Actually, it can be really eye-opening. And you get a better picture of what, what the actual dangers are and what the actual fears are. I think it's, I know as a parent, I will project my own fears onto scenarios that my kids go into. And often they're fine about it because they're kind of well-equipped maybe in that area in a way I'm not. And so actually it's fine for them. It's actually me who's got the problem. And yeah. so I think that's, that's been quite helpful. And, I, and I've come across lots of people, I guess, in academia and in the kind of child support services kind of world more recently, the whole yeah. really sort of taught me that. And that's something I think I've learned, but had to learn more recently. Yeah. I mean, as I said to you, that's that's what happens in, in terms of children coming to therapy is I, I work. I mean, OK, I'm child and adult, but I do work with a lot of the children and most of my knowledge in terms of going back and writing articles and books and stuff has come from the children. It's it's been a case of, OK, so what happened? I think in my first book I talked about um, now I was really, really impressed with the child's ability to think outside the box. Um, they were told they couldn't play their computer after 11 o'clock. So this is going back a few years. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they bought um, one of the Navy SEALs microphones that went on their throat <laughs> yeah. so that they could talk to their mate. And, wow. and their mum and dad didn't yeah. know that they were playing on Genius. the computer. Yeah. Ah, isn't it just? <laughs> and actually, this is, the, it, this is why I argue and, and kind of fight for uh, an advocate for the, uh, like the children. Actually, this is the new... The new uh, government that we've got in 10, 15 years and 20, yeah. So, you know, when they can be that, um, uh, yeah, just thinking outside the box and, and being um, innovative and, and, and just that essence is amazing to sit with. And yet on the opposite end of the scale, we're being told that, you know, I mean, it keeps cropping up in the podcast that we have the generation that's been destroyed or they're so depressed by the, you know, it's the iPhone that's caused it and, we've got terms like screen time banding around, which really annoy the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think you found with um, the children in terms of your, your kind of um, knowledge around children and gaming? I think one, one thing is that they're really keen for parents to play a role. And actually, Mm -hmm. even when it, even I was speaking to Andy Fippin from Plymouth, who's talking about screen time and and he was talking to some kids saying, even when it's a parent who's restricting the time on the screens, the, the kids actually welcome it because it's, there's, it's them paying an interest. Um, obviously, if, it just, if that's all it is, then it's going to go downhill. But there seems to be, I think there's an appetite that parents don't recognise always. <coughs> they, they see it as like, this is, that's, it's his thing or it's her thing. And I, you know, I don't want to invade their, kind of, their, their, their switch off time or whatever they call it. Um, but, but kids themselves really seem to light up when parents either just take an interest and ask questions about it or then actually play. And so that's one of the, one of the areas that I'm looking to encourage in the book is to provide easier ways for people who don't play games to reduce, to reduce that barrier so that it becomes almost impossible for them not to. And I, I often will make that kind of 
the comparison, you know, if a, if a parent had a child who was reading inappropriate books, whether they're horrific or sexual or whatever, they, they wouldn't go and ban all the books in the house and um, or just set, or, or let them carry on reading the books, but set an hour's limit. They would find some amazing books that they know from their childhood. And if they didn't, they would they would read up on it. And if they said publicly, oh, I'm not a reader, I'm never going to read. So I just let him get on with it. The people around them would be like, what? That's a bit weird. But we kind of accept that in the gaming mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Well, it, but, well, I think it's the same for cyberspace. Um, uh, so a couple of months, yeah, about two months ago, I was teaching um, some psychotherapists and one of them said, oh, yeah, I, ju- I just let him on um, Roblox. And I said, oh, when, when you sent him to school, did you kind of open the door and go, the school's over there, off you go? Uh, yeah. No, you checked out what it was. You saw who the teachers were. There, there's something around that. And it's that not understanding, isn't it? So... I mean, your, your book is going to be really, really helpful in terms of explaining what games are and that. And, you know, um, I haven't got time to do that in my book and I haven't, got, I haven't got the patience to do that at the moment, to be honest, because there's so much else that's just fallen out into it. Yeah. Um, what I'm actually doing is talking about the processes. So it's, it's more about why a child might engage in a particular game mm. because, you know, if, and, and I find this when I'm talking to the adults, the average age of gamers is about 35 years of age, isn't it? For, and, and it's... Yep. You know, stereotypical. Um, I just have the, the the image of man in underpants sat on a week <laughs> playing it. Yeah. But I also know um, from from kind of what I'm doing, John Gray, who talks about men are from Va- Mars, women are from Venus. He talks about how men cope with stress and what they do is kind of going into a man shed or a man world or doing something that's active but doesn't require a lot of energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And gaming might be one of the ways of doing that. So for me. There's, there's a couple of things about that's exactly what children do as well. They mm. don't have the ability in language to say, do you know, I've had a really tough day at school. So-and-so fell out with me and I found it really difficult. So what I'm going to do is come home and I'm, I'm just going to behave my way. And, and that's what children do. So this idea of them playing games is sometimes them behaving their way out of the issue that they're trying to deal with cognitively. Yeah. Because the, the two areas in, in terms of brain development are not always mirrored up at that stage. Yeah. Which can, which can be why, if you take that away from a child, uh, their, yeah. their behaviour deteriorates. It's not because they were addicted to the game. It's because they, they had this really great coping mechanism yep. and you've taken it away. It's like that yeah. glass of red wine, maybe. <laughs> not just a great comparison. But, you know, as adults, we have lots of things we do. And if someone takes that away or particularly just walked in and like, that's enough of that, took it away, we'd be like, what? I yeah. need that. <laughs> um, I actually... <laughs> That's, uh, I was teaching about um, cyber self-harm at a CYP Now conference. And as I started to talk about what self-harm was and how we do it, um, it was really interesting to watch the adults going, (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, 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 she's suspicious. And actually, the children do exactly the same. They just don't have the ability to do other things in in terms of, you know, yeah, the glass of wine or whatever it is. They, They have limited resources and this gaming system's provided them I mean, if, if you watch children haptically, it's provided them with something to do, which is all about body movement. And that's how you can regulate. It is mm. how we regulate, you know, even even the act of taking a cigarette to your mouth or a glass of wine to your mouth or putting shoes up is all about bodily work. So mm. I, I've kind of I'm coming from that aspect. Um, and I think that's why I was saying to you that. Um, so I'm going to interview Anthony Bean and we're going to talk about how to help with it. But there isn't a book yet that talks about what games are and what they can do and why they're so good, which is why I'm excited to see your book because it will be just another one of those pieces of homework I hand out to. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm because it is to, yeah, it is the thing that gets said so often, Andy, is, is you know, well, I, I don't know what they're playing. And I mm. said, well, why? How yeah. come? What's, what's going on there? I think it's good to also sort of, and I guess this is part in the book, my perspective, is that it's also being upfront about it being difficult. I think well, I, I often come across people sometimes who aren't parents or, yeah, they're usually not parents, I think, who play games and they'll just say, well, it's simple, isn't it? Read the ratings and just say no, like job done. What's all the mm-hmm. fuss about? And mm-hmm. When you when you when you're parenting a child and that's the getting older, it's not that simple. Um, and particularly if you don't have the experience in that and it's got away from you. So I think it's really good to just to be upfront about how difficult it is as well. And hence the, the title of the book, Taming Gaming, is probably you know it's more negative than other stuff I've written in terms of its title because I want to be really clear that get that we need to do something to make this easier for parents, and this is what I'm doing to try and make it easier. So. Just, just invent, trying, to, trying to work out what do we do in other areas. And in the book, there's a big theme about diet. And so that applies to, I make the comparison between screen time and plate time that I think it's been made quite, you know, it's, not, it's not my thing, but I, I think it's quite a good thing. We don't, we don't just worry about how long our child sits at, at their plates. If their plate's full of sweets, we'll be really inventive at introducing vegetables and things like that. Um, but then looking at other things, that, other ways that parents get inspired about cooking, and you obviously have Jamie Oliver and whoever, these, these sort of lifestyle cookbooks, but there's, that, there's not that kind of maturity in the games world to offer that to adults. And so again, part of the book will be these very, very simple recipes that anyone can pick off the shelf and then use. And like with recipes, the idea is that you might not have all the ingredients, but you'll have most of them. And you can kind of, you know, you can be, oh, I'll use those instead of those. And I'll have like yeah. serving suggestions of how other families have enjoyed it and just trying to make it really simple, but without, um, you know, without sort of dumbing it down or, you know, or, or just picking really simple games. The games are going to be, you know, the games I love to play and the games I've seen families just get really great experiences out of. Yeah. Well, as I said to you earlier, I've got I've got computer games that I use for. Um, so it's under my framework of technology for trauma. Yeah. And, and part of that is using games. In, and, you know, it's almost like, well, what would I do if if the referral form says Internet gaming disorder? And then I go, I know the exact brilliant thing that we can do as an intervention, which is to play more games. It's, it's yeah. almost. It, yeah, it's, it's oxymoronic, isn't it? But there is something around. And I'm saying but there is something around actually lots of different games serve lots of different functions don't they in terms of why why a child might choose something so what what I was thinking then was um again it probably is the media spin and other parents saying have you seen what happened on um Roblox so uh, was it about a week ago two weeks ago where the child's figure had been assaulted by in Roblox had been assaulted by other figure and I thought actually that the the whole the whole interesting part of the the scenario had been missed out of the article so i'm i'm still trying to track down exactly what was happening in that one and why why it's suddenly so i'm going to say viral pretty much like um the the t- um so actually one of the things i will do is i'll put your ted talk in um on the bottom of this i forgot to mention that in the introduction <laughs> yeah um, well that's quite a while ago i think it's still it, it was it was like a starting point for me really um so it's, I find it interesting to, get, to go back to it. It's like 2012. But I still, you know, I think some of the stuff I said there about needing to, to have a better conversation about games and needing to find yeah. out ways as adults to talk about them still hold true. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, that's what I'm finding so interesting is kind of the, the, way that, um, the way that things become viral is it does tend to be about the negative stuff. And I'm really interested in, um, so I've just suddenly forgotten his name. 
Um, he did the viral video about Peppa Pig and why YouTube is so bad. And I'm going, hang on a minute, I've been talking about this for a long time. This is where my cyber trauma comes from. And actually, it's a very, very minimal percentage of the population. I, mm. I am fully aware that when I talk about trauma, I'm working with less than 10% of the population in terms of certain types of trauma. If I'm looking at generic childhood trauma, I might be working with one in four children. So there's three in four children who are not having these experiences. And yet here we are. And it's, it's that negativity bias about why the internet is so dangerous. And, and I, I've seen um, Sonia Livingston quite often pushes that what we need to do is make distinctions between risks, dangers, uh, and how, how we use our language, really. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a temptation, perhaps it goes with the age of, a sort of time of our age, um, to try and inoculate children from dangers or, or, or make the world, make, like, as if, the, mm. as if the internet should be completely safe. Like, you know, crossing the road, all the dangers in the world. Yeah. We don't go out and try and make it safe before we let our kids go on it. You know, we mm-hmm. teach our children, don't we, those skills. And I think that that comes from maybe a slightly older approach to e-safety and even the word e-safety you know isn't isn't a great one where you know people come into schools and and it feels like they're worried about the dangers and so the way they're going to they're going to get action is by showing you the worst ones so that then you know then there's a response because they're really worried about it themselves rather than actually Mm -hmm. offering you know a proper a proper solution yep and shock tactics don't work we know this because, you know, um, well, I mean, even even simple statements, let's go back to Nancy Reagan, just say no, you know, it, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> Slight sarcastic wry face. Um, so that there is something about when we when we give people education and this this is the, the way that I'm hoping that um, your book will work. And I think that Anthony's works and, and a few others, particularly I'm hoping this is what mine does is actually it's about education. And if you have the education then you can make choices. It's not about saying to you, don't do this and don't do that. It's saying, here's the process. Here's what happens. This is why children might use this game and here's how to support them through it rather than, and by the way, these are the dangers. And, and if you're not careful, because I have found quite a few um, cyber-based books that are almost, they might as well just read on the front, the internet is going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty Scary much stories same. about the internet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and AI. No, sorry, super AI. Yeah. That, and there is there is a little bit of a jest here, but actually, not everything is bad. And and I think that when you talked about um, balance a few moments ago on a plate, I interviewed Jocelyn Brewer last week, and she uses a phrase digital nutrition. Mm. And she talks about what's a, what's a healthy amount. That was actually quite an interesting part because we talked about what's healthy, when's too much, when's when's it okay, you know, because. I think the phrase I made was when, when I'm teaching, I've got a screen behind me, a PowerPoint. And by the end of it, technically people may well have a disorder because <laughs> they've been staring at a screen all day, you know, yeah. and it's, it's how come we can have rules for children, but not for adults. or we can have them for adults and not for children. And so I think I'm, I'm really excited to um, read your book. So have you, have you got any idea when, when it will be out? Well, I mean, it's, so it's a crowdfunding project. Um, and it is fun to be completely blunt. It's, it is funding very slowly with individuals because the people who maybe I think would benefit from the book aren't the people who are online trawling, you know, YouTube and places where maybe I get a bigger audience with younger people. And so, and also it's, it's on a crowdfunding site. So they don't only have to find it. They have to understand what crowdfunding is and then they have to pre-order it. Um, and so it's slow, but, I, but I, there's some really promising partnerships where, they, where it's appropriate 
private commercial companies or charities to collaborate on a bit of the book and then that will sort of underwrite some of the funding and i think it, that it's going to be a combination of both of both of those but what, what it has done is really open loads of conversations on lots of different fronts like you know the fact that i'm here now talking to you you know mm -hmm. which, I've, which i've really appreciated and it's it's giving me kind of a remit to actually look in more detail at some of the things that i have sort of said on a bit of a hunch or a bit of an instinct mm -hmm. what i think is good and actually actually in the writing of it trying to sort of get into what the nuts and bolts here how how is it actually how does it work as a theory and um you know what's most useful for parents and part of that comes out of um so the book kind of comes out of the, a previous project which is ongoing which are these weekly videos that i make for parents which do that work of, of looking at something like roblox introducing it somebody doesn't know it um look working with the ratings bodies to um show you know what is in the game and then also like mm. on roblox the ratings bodies all say um additional online content is not rated and so then going and i spent a whole day trying to see the most violent bloody gory roblox games i could find um and it wasn't that bad but there were some which which would obviously be rated higher um and to try and look at some of those gaps and make it really simple for parents to be well informed and so those those videos are just about four or five minutes each so when i've got a parent that says oh i'm not a gamer and i haven't got the time you can sort of say well spend five minutes a week in a couple of months and you're going to be ahead of the game and again yeah. in, into those videos along with the kind of the uh, informative ones is also introducing games that i think parents will like themselves like as an adult will want to play which is a, often a bit of a mind stretching concept for some people like why would i want to play this but there are lo lots of examples that i've used that regularly i can really go to and i know if i come back in a couple of weeks the mum or the dad will be like oh yeah i'm still playing it it's really good and, and i want my son to play it yeah and so just trying to change that um that conversation so how soon the book's available to come back to your question um is i don't know but i think if it doesn't fund very quickly what i will probably do is do do some sort of like writing of chapters and having some have some key, key chapters which are available sooner in some way um if it does fund then i think the e the e version the electronic version will be ready quite quickly and then the, right. the, the hardback will will be a bit later but the publisher are really committed to making it not just uh like an informative book but kind of um almost like a coffee table like lifestyle book which i quite like because it puts it into that space of the cookbook kind of area yeah so the idea is that it is inspiring for a, for a, a grown-up not just the information but here's here's some amazing ways that you're going to you know you can actually play games together and or just play games on your own or find new games for your kids mm. I, I mean that's what i'm excited uh you have a patreon page don't you is that where yeah. you're crowdfunding that's, the, that's where the videos are so if you go to right. patreon.com i think it's forward slash geek dad gamer which is my twitter handle right i um, i will put that in the the show notes uh, at right. the end of this as well yeah. so that people that, can access it i think that's actually the best form for this content is video if i can mm. get everyone to watch these videos i think you wouldn't need a book but i know that there's some value in a book and there's a whole different audience that will access a book that won't sit down and watch a video um like i do so um, yeah yeah i think what what i do is um so i've got like i said to you i've got so many sort of projects going on at the moment um yeah, but, so busy um <laughs> I, well i am because actually what i will do is um as i said on twitter yesterday i have a question for you about the uh, ratings board but i'm going to do that one off off this conversation yeah um but it is it is really interesting when people say to me yeah but it's got a rating of and i, I actually i will sit and talk with parents and i'll say but do you understand why that is because it might have this particular word in it and that might be because that's rated as um Oh, what book was I reading that's got the seven words you can't say on American television? <laughs> um, uh, 
they they are considered swear it's quite it's a philo philosophy book and it's all yeah. about why it's okay but not okay but also anyway um yeah. So, and I, I tend to talk to parents about what's considered certain ratings and I, I give them a little bit about brain development and why that works, um, which is what I'm going to be doing in my PhD. So um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a minute because I can, sh I can shortly announce what I'm doing. Exciting. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite excited. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I was just thinking about these five minute videos. Um, do you find that parents are engaging with you? Because when you said e-safety, that's the word that makes people go, oh. I don't, yeah, I've done e school does e-safety, Kath, or, I'm like, yeah, but the thing is, school do one particular type of e-safety, they don't cover everything about parenting, and parents don't want to go in for e-safety because they think it's about e-safety, and it's not, it's about parenting, because um, I see digital parenting is kind of one of the new evolving terms. Um, I've had a bit of a blast in, in my book, <laughs> taking the mickey out of certain things, but this digital parenting, yeah, that's what I see as um, maybe the new phrase or the new because that, that's what you're talking about with your book isn't it really is it helping parents in the digital age yeah it sounds like e-safety doesn't it so how how are you selling this to parents so i think i only ever use the term e-safety if i start working with schools so what's something that happened is that as i had parents signing up some of them would be like oh this is great oh my school would love this we had some e-safety but it's just some ex-policeman coming in and showing us grand theft auto videos and then running off <laughs> which was fine it made yeah. it, it got our attention they said but um it didn't actually you know it doesn't actually help it just scares you and makes you worried so uh, so in my local area to start with i've i've been working with a whole bunch of schools where they they all share the videos with their family and with their mm -hmm. parents and teachers um and so that kind of and it feels like in that area that like safeguarding e-safety that kind of seems to be where they're coming from and i don't know if those phrases come come from sort of ofsted categories or something but there certainly seems to be an appetite to have something regular and that and using those phrases seems to go with that territory although i i yeah I it's, it's fear-mongering fear-mongering scare-mongering and yeah anyway, there's a new one for you fear -mongering. Um, <laughs> yeah i think i, I think it yeah. is um yeah. and so i think it's a better way to talk about it but uh, for me i'm happy to open that conversation anyway and then you know get that get some engagement and then take it in a different direction i think so with on the videos themselves because they're very targeted they're about specific issues so if a parent for instance for instance on twitter if a parent pops up and is worried about Fortnite, and i can direct them to the the, the post on patreon about Fortnite, um and then it's a very sort of targeted bit of information um and so what i find is that if a parent does engage with those videos, they engage with it in a deep way. And actually they usually want to talk to me about it. I've had lots of, lots of phone call conversations. So I'm quite happy to have with okay. parents. Actually, I learned, I learned so much as well, talking to these families. Yeah. Um, and they, but they, um, they're kind of surprised that there's anybody who wants, who's available to talk about it. And I think it, it shows you that most people's sort of circle of friends or sort of community don't necessarily have someone like this. And in, in the videos I sort of talk about, you really need to find a guide. Um, if you can't find one, then these videos can be a substitute for that. But if you ideally, if you've got someone who knows the territory and also can talk about it without being too sort of games are amazing, then that will help you. You know, if there's an adult that can say, here's some games I've enjoyed as an adult, that's sort of half the battle done. And so a lot of parents I find are really keen to get have those conversations where I take them on a bit of a journey from their kids playing to actually then them playing um, and I had some really interesting so and I, the successes of those are often where a parent plays a game that's maybe a bit older rated like I had a scenario where 
a dad I was working with um, played the game Limbo. Have you seen Limbo? It's an Xbox game. It's a bit uh, old. But you might not have. It might not have passed. You. A bit old. But put it this way: my children are twenty and twenty-two. So um, yes, the Xbox has been a, a resident uh, console in my house yeah. for a long so you've time. They've probably played it, or someone has. Um, so I it's know, possible. It's a game about a little boy who who has, has to travel through a dark wood, um, and as he does, it's very beautiful. It's very sort of filmic. Yeah. You seen it? Yeah. Um, yes. As he does, he comes he comes a cropper, to put it politely, in various ways. And so it's an eighteen rated game. But what's interesting about it? It is violent, but the game has a narrative to it that you have to kind of interpret as you go. Like, what? Where's he going? What's he doing? Who, who's he? You know, it, and, it, and it evolves. And so as an adult playing it you can end up having quite a deep connection with this story and with this little child, particularly if you're a parent. And that's, that was the experience of this dad. So that he then wanted to share this experience with his son, who I think it was... Time was maybe 13. This game I've really enjoyed. I'd love mm -hmm. to share it. And I won't I think it's probably a bit old for me. Me and the dad being like, no, so you have that real back to front conversation. I'll being like, I want to play, you know, Call of Duty or whatever. unusual or turned around like that. I, it yeah. feels like they're on the route to a much healthier relationship to get, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, you, are, you are a little bit um, slow. I'm not sure if it's my internet, Andy. Yeah, I think I think you're back again. It just went a little bit, little bit slow then. It says doesn't have like a health. No, it's. I think it's my end. I think it's my end. Maybe I've not paid the bill. <laughs> Put some more coins in the meter. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so I know, yes, I know which game you're on about, and obviously, if that's not caught up on the um, on the sound, what I'll do is I'll just put a little brief paragraph yeah, in the I show could notes. Say, about I it. could just say again if you like. Yeah, all so right then. Give you my little spiel. So basically, there's this game Limbo. Uh, you control a, a small boy who has to travel through a, a dark wood, and it's very filmic. And so, as a grown-up, you get attached to the boy and also the narrative. And you're trying to work out what's happening. Mm -hmm. so there was a dad I was working with and he loved the game something about it connected to him his childhood his parenting and he finished it and then his instinct was I want to share this with my son and so he had a conversation with his son who I think at the time was 13 or 14 but the son was knew the game was like actually I've seen that dad and I think it maybe it's a bit violent for me I'm not sure I'm ready to play it and the, the father was then reassuring the son saying um, oh it's okay we'll play it together if it gets too much we can stop at any time but I think you know I'd love to share this with you it's, it's been a really meaningful game for me and so you have this completely back to front conversation in the home rather than the child asking for the older rated game. It was the other way around. And so I just think that's such a mark of, of it's so interesting, but also a mark of real health that those conversations are happening in two directions rather than it being the child asking and the parents saying no, the child asking the parents saying no. So yeah. I count those kind of moments as successes, really. Yeah. And I, th I think that's what I'm hoping well, that, this is where I'm hoping that we will go as a, um, uh, as a society, actually, is that parents start to have these conversations with children. But this is why I'm writing about um, this sort of stuff, if you like, has to start in the early years. And actually, that's, there's a lot of that that's been missed just, just because of how society has been over the last 20 years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
that, that there isn't a lot of um, attunement and connection like there used to be years and years ago because we're, we're all under pressure to be these super parents and you know these games sometimes provide us a way of going five minutes to ourselves and yeah yeah so I mean I was just thinking when you were um, talking that this is what happened a couple of weeks ago I had a therapist phone me up about um, Doki Doki so mm-hmm. I don't know if you've yep. so that game and, and kind of saying oh, it was really frightening cast but actually what we did in the podcast because we were therapists is actually we got onto ah, ah this opens up a conversation about death and that yeah. can be really, really helpful. And, and to be perfectly honest, taboo subjects are the ones that don't get talked about. But when they are, they're really, really rich, in-depth and so enlightening. It, it's, yeah, I, w- I would be putting more than success. I'd be having neon signs and a dance party around it because I think those are the conversations that children need. You know, um, and, and parents often from the children. Yeah. And I think games are really good at addressing dark topics in an unusual way. So yeah. it goes back to my TED Talk, really. And I, I've got, I did a theology degree back in the day, and it reminds me of stuff I learned about religious texts, how they're really good at holding taboo subjects in safe spaces, letting people engage with them. And I love the fact that when you play a game, it's much more gentle and fragile an experience than if you're watching a film. So if you're watching a film about suicide or death, you have to hand over your consciousness to whoever is, oh, sorry. Right, back on. So continuity will be blipped there. So shall I, shall I talk... We were talking about Doki Doki, weren't we? Um, we well, actually, Dark, uh, what you'd actually just said, oh God, this is being a therapist, right? Uh, <laughs> what you'd actually just said was about how when you hand your consciousness over to yeah. films. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, if you're watching a film about, say, suicide or death, then you have to hand over your consciousness and, and kind of your perspective to the director. You trust them that they're going to they're gonna do justice to the subject. Um, but you're, you, you can't, you've got no choice in the matter. You either turn it off and leave or you, you continue with it. Whereas in a game, it's a much more shared experience because the game developer creates this world and kind of it invites you in and receives you as the player. But then you have to play a role, even if it's very linear and you're just, just deciding how quickly you're going to proceed through the game. You've got that, those moments of pausing and the game will just wait for you, whereas a film won't. But in a more involved game where you've got an actual world that you're exploring in a more open way, then it, it will unfold you know, completely differently depending on who's playing it, which I think creates a really unique way and a really gentle way to engage with some topics which are really sensitive or people might have a sensitivity to. So I think, I think there's a, a fascinating sort of wealth of you know, good stuff and you know, a good way to engage with topics that other things don't, don't offer. And that's why I think it's a shame if we then reduce games down to a substance that can be abused, we yeah. miss that. So... Um, yeah. Yeah. I, do you know, I'm, I'm just going to, and I do this on almost every episode now, <laughs> tell you something about my children. So I've, I've subjected them to um, a Commodore 64 yeah. when, they were, when they were about six and eight. And I, I went off and we went and got oh. this Commodore 64 um, and we were right away camping, actually. And I said, look, I'm going to show you just how gaming used to be. <clears throat> and um, what did I put on? Kickstart. There's an old game yeah. from yeah. from the TV program, and yeah. they just fell about laughing. <laughs> and you know yeah. the fact that it took three and a half minutes to load. And but what what we did do is we talked about. Um, so when you were talking about games on the Xbox, the Impossible game popped up, and that is one of the most frustrating games going because it's if you die, you go all the way back to the beginning. And we talked about how frustrating this is and how games don't do this anymore. Um, 
and then we, uh, the kids played, I think it was A Thousand Ways to Die, which mm -hmm. was like a little egg. Um, and it, it had a myriad of ways that it, it would die. You know, a snake could bite it. Um, it chopped it. I don't know. There was loads of things. Yeah. We, we had conversations about, oh, that'd be awful if that was, you know, if that was the way that you died. Oh, that'd be awful. Look at that one. <gasps> he didn't check the road, did he, before <laughs> he went across. So there was lots of, lots of humour in it. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the things that games can bring is a conversation, but they, they provide this platform that has um, other attributes in it, such as humour, you know, the elongation of um, what you think is going to happen, and then you can talk about that. Um, so I've, I've probably bored my children to death in terms of who's that, why are they doing that, what's going on there, who's in this game, why is it? And, and the one question that I still cannot get an answer to is when I used to watch my children playing, um, I don't know, for example, something like, Fortnite or COD or yep, because I, um, I I come from getting games for the kids uh, in from gaming industry and yeah they'd be saying over here to their friends and I'd be looking at the screen going how on earth does another person know where that <laughs> uh, yeah. you know being X forces I'd be going yeah but it's twelve o'clock two o'clock three hundred meters oh, and yeah I mean I think on picking on Fortnite it sounds like your kids are a bit older. Is that right? Uh, they're yeah, they're 20 and 22 now. Right. I guess, you know, 20 year olds still play Fortnite. But my 13-year-old who plays Fortnite has developed a whole complex language about not only who's where, like north, south, whatever, but actually what they've done to other players. Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll, as soon as he hits a player, he'll say, tagged one uh, or knocked one if they've, if they've knocked over or let's push. And yeah. very quick little phrases. And it's, it's like a whole language, um, which I think is fascinating. It, yes, and this this is what I'm talking about in terms of brain development. Is actually wow, uh, wow. I mean, I know language evolved. We all think that we're you know the first people ever to come out with language that parents don't understand. And so, <laughs> but a lot of this language is being um, yeah. co-created co with adults as well, because children are playing with adults online, and that isn't always a scary thing. Mm. Um, because what they do get is this this rich kind of language and gameplay and it's complex and the amount of um information that they're taking in so I'm, I'm still trying to find if there's a piece of research that will help kind of support this but um you take about 60 to 120 bits per second of information that's about as much as your prefrontal cortex can take and then i'm watching children with the head up display with the, the they've got the um i don't know their weapons in the corner they've got an ipad at the side so that they can actually not actually cover their screen they can yeah and i'm going how on earth are they making sense of all of this because it's got to be much much more than 120 bits per second it's got to be i don't know yeah. i don't know maybe maybe that's something for somebody else to <laughs> search yeah game development <clears throat> yeah. um yeah which that that intrigues me because actually coming from um kind of the gaming industry before i went off to start becoming a psychotherapist i know that these are some of the things that they look at mm. um and I'm really interested in that because for me, it's all about, wow, look at what the brain can now do or look at what we're now training the brain to do that it's always been able to do, but we didn't get the opportunity to do this. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's probably how I see gaming is this has provided children with a platform that they can now do something that we just, you know, we were sticks, stones and, and yeah. axe, I think it was. And there'll probably be, I mean, obviously there'll be downsides to that, won't there? But understanding, you know, what the games are doing is the first step towards understanding mm. what the downsides may be, rather than sort of jumping to what the old downsides used to be. You know, it's not going to be the same sort of stuff. So that's why I think screen time is this really muddled, 
muddled message to parents and why parents are forever saying but how long's too long because you can't answer that question yeah. um, but you know i think there are there, you know i think some people will say oh games are harmless they don't do anything but i like the i like saying actually games do 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 things to us in a unique way a lot of that's positive and i guess but along with that i have to also say some of that's going to be negative but we need we're only just starting to understand yeah. what that might be um so we need to do that more i guess yeah absolutely um so i'm aware that we haven't got on to the other two kind of topics that yep. we we're going to talk around which is why i said to you this will probably be more <laughs> than one episode yeah um, so if you're if you're up for it andy i'd love to have you back to do conversations around the other the other two topics and maybe the peggy ratings and so on because i think that's really important as well yeah that might tie in well with something that i'm going to tell you in a in a moment yeah um, so what what i think i'm going to do is uh just looking at the time because i did say we'd go on for more than half an hour <laughs> even with even with the stop gap in the middle um, <laughs> is there anything you'd want to put into kind of today's episode so i'm going to put your ted talk in your patreon page um Anything else you'd want in there or anything else you want to say before we kind of bring this, this episode to a close? I think just having an actual example of a game is really helpful. Of a game that, like most of the games we've talked about, I think anyone could kind of dismiss them and say, oh yeah, I can see how kids might want to play that. But I'm like a 40 something, whatever. I'm, you know, I read books and do crosswords, so I, won't, I don't want to play a game. So I think it's, it's probably worth just talking briefly about a game Actually, an actual example. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the one, um, the one I've been using recently is a game called um, "Bury Me, My Love." Is that one you've heard heard of? Uh, I can't say I have. No. Which is kind of handy because I can. <laughs> it does. I'll tell you what. That triggers off a lot of memories in yeah. my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a strange game because it it's really I think it's really positive, but it it it's, it creates quite a few hurdles for itself. So firstly, the title "Bury Me, My Love." It's a game set in Syria, and that phrase, bury me, my love, is something that, as I understand it in the game, uh, Syrian people will say in, in, in parting. And what they mean is, don't die before I see you again. Like, I want you to bury me, so, you know, have a good life and stay alive. I want to see you again. Although it's kind of a back... Back to front logic, but it's um, is on a plane on a smartphone or a tablet, um, and it's basically a little companion. It's like a little... You almost see it like a Tamagotchi, yep. um, but rather than a little monster, the person who's your companion um, is your wife. And so you play the husband of a, of a wife and both of you are living in Syria. The, game, the story starts that her, her family are killed in a bombing and that's the last of her relatives. And you decide between you that the best course of action is for her to travel to Europe. Um, all this is happening just as sort of WhatsApp or text messages on your phone. So it just pops up like you've got a message you tap it and then you can see what she said um, but your responses to that will affect the decisions she makes and the game will track you know what resources she's got and how she feels towards you and so what starts as a very simple story about her um, her journey from Syria to Europe soon becomes very branching and so in the game there's about a thousand different routes you can take and about 20 different endings uh -huh. um, it's it's really well written it's about a hundred thousand words of text it's all just it's all just text and there's a lovely kind of intimacy in actually playing a role in that journey and so she'll pop up and say oh i've got to the bus station oh but it's going dark i'm not sure what to do and you don't say get the bus or go you, you say well how you, the options will be like how are you feeling or maybe you do a smiley face or maybe you think oh maybe you might say oh are you feeling safe 
and that those sort of subtle interactions will determine what she does and so we played this in my family me my wife and my daughter um and we could see how very quickly because it shows you a map how very quickly our, our interactions create very different journeys and so what it does is not only is it intriguing as an experience um the final thing i should say is it's played in real time so so if she's busy in the game traveling or hasn't got a battery in her phone you won't hear from her for, for sometimes a day or two and then she'll pop up so it has that kind of real time ah, kind of thing going on yeah, delayed gratification yeah and so i felt like i was relatively well read sort of nice <laughs> european male um connected to these kind of issues and I, I was to an extent but playing that game has connected me in a whole different way so now when i see those stories on the news i feel like oh i know about this or I, i'm involved in this in a really in a way that i really appreciate and so my experience is that when when parents play that game, they're then quite keen for their children to play it and then have conversations about it. The, the, the individual in the game can die, so you, it's a sort of 12 rating, so you need to be slightly careful. I didn't realise that when I introduced it to my daughter and she ended up getting shot, I think, at the end, <laughs> which was a little, ah. a little moment for us as a family. But, it, but you know, it was, it's handled appropriately. It's not graphic. Um, but it was, it was a surprise in a quite a nice way, I guess, because we could talk about it. So I think that's a really helpful example of a game that addresses a theme that adults might be interested in, but also does it in a way that doesn't take hours to play and, and is almost like an interactive story. So, yeah. um, Gone are the days of playing The Hobbit and doing pickle packs, <laughs> drop axe. Yeah, go, drop go, axe. go north. You cannot go that way. <laughs> go on, Bennett. Yeah, well, that just lets you into kind of the level at which I play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still at go north. <laughs> you can't do you that. You can't do that. that. I bloody well can. Somebody <laughs> needs to put it now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that actually, if I can, what I'll do is I'll find some way of putting that into the show notes that people can then go and have a look and, and yeah, yeah i've got a video i've got an interview with the developer because that's one of the, the one of the games i've covered on patreon so there's a little video on it on patreon but there's also a second video where i talked to the person who made it and he, he tells you how they how it came about why they made it and how they had um a particular syrian migrant i'll get that right the project well then uh, i'm i'm clearly out of date at the minute i will go, go back to your patreon page and have a look and, and see about that one yeah um, it's great it was one of the first ones i did so it's long it's a white white way down the bottom ah right okay i'll find it i'll i'll stick it in the show notes um uh yeah what was i thinking of just then there's oh there was something i was just going to say to you anyway it's gone um so what i'm going to do is thank you for being on uh, this week's Pleasure. podcast um and i'm looking forward to having you back particularly as we go along and and get more more to do with this gaming disorder and we actually i mean i know it's kind of been affirmed but at the same time still it's a little bit nebulous yeah it's what, um, you, what does it mean how do you diagnose it and all those sorts yeah, of things so. yeah and then uh, um we'll come back because we've got the other issues to discuss as well um so what i'll do is i will say thank you for being on today's podcast thank you and um look forward to the second time brilliant thanks a lot <laughs>